Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, and get ready for a review and design discussion. Absolutely. This time we're going to cover the adventure games, which I didn't even know about until you brought them to my attention, but I'm glad you did. Well, I guess you're giving away your opinion already. You heard it first here, folks. Peter likes these games. Well, I like the genre of games, right? I feel like they are in the escape room genre, and it's funny because they're made by Cosmos, who also makes exit games. So it's interesting, they took a very different spin on it with this, and we'll kind of cover that as we go along, but you know me and my escape room games, I like them a lot. Yeah, and, and just to clarify, there were two releases of these recently. One of them is called Monochrome Inc., and it's kind of a Resident Evil-esque in that you're infiltrating this evil corporation that's doing experiments on people. Man, you're, you're taking my theme disc- or my uh, theme discussion away from me. What do I, what do I have left? Well, okay, I won't say the other one then. You, you can talk all about the, the, the alternate set. But yes, it's a two sets from Cosmos that have been released so far. But I imagine if they do well, we'll get a whole line uh, coming eventually. Yeah, the other one's called Dungeon, I believe. And it's literally about you waking up in a dungeon. Very fantasy <laughs> setting. You know, like de- de- definitely less interesting in the beginning, at least. I mean, I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, the, uh, uh, yeah, so in the second set, not to give too much away, which is the uh, Pharma Lab one, you're like a spy crew going in, like, hired to, like, pull this heist off on the pharmaceutical company, so that's kind of interesting in and of itself, but yeah, the other one, I guess, is more generic fantasy, you just wake up in a dungeon. Well, yeah, I can't say how many adventure games I've played where you woke up with amnesia, which is exactly what happens in this one, like, that's, that's adventure game 101, basically. Well, at least they do something with it here. I'm not again. I don't want to give away too much theme stuff and too much of our design discussion, but I do feel like they do something with it, which they don't always do. Um, and that's I'll just kind of leave it with leave it at that. But anyway, before we get into all of this, we should have probably said our design discussion is going to be on scoring mechanisms in cooperative games. That's right. And before we get into either topics, let's thank some of our patrons that helped to fund this episode. Today we're going to thank Philip Winstead, Caleb Wiles, and Old School Gamer. Philip is a co-op lover, and Caleb and Old School Gamer are co-op fans. So thanks to the three of you, and thanks to all our patrons. And if you would like to contribute to our Patreon, go to patreon.com slash one stop. And feel free to contribute to the content, to our recording on the YouTube channel, all the uh, great co-op and solo news and coverage we bring you. And for everyone who can support, thank you so much for all you do for our channel. Yeah, and for those of you who can't, please go to iTunes and leave a review. That helps us just as much. So we appreciate those as well. And that, that goes for you Patreon supporters too. Please feel free to go to iTunes. All the reviews help. That's right. Even if you want to give us a less than five-star review, whatever you think is fair, we just are happy for uh, your opinions and hearing them. Absolutely. All right, Mike, well, you covered the theme of the adventure games. I guess I can get into the mechanics a little bit because they're not too heavy on this one. Basically, if you've played an escape room game before, you're pretty familiar with how some of these things work. Here it works a little different because you do have miniatures that you go around with on the board, and you're going to go to different locations. So you're going to see a room. There are larger cards that are the room cards, and they may have four or five spots on them. And it'll say, like, room one might have 101 and 102 and 103 and 104. So you move your pawn to one of those locations, and yes, one of the differences between this and other escape room games is each player does get their own actions. So you go to one of these locations, and then you will have a book of stories, kind of, and you open it up and see what is located at that location. And they do some things with those you know, with the pharma one specifically, where certain characters can go to certain places and certain ones can't. So they do play around with that system a little bit as well. But basically, you're going around trying to find items, you can combine them with locations or with other items, similar to games like unlock, where you take two cards and you put them together. Now in unlock, you added the two numbers together to see if you could find another number here, you add them together in a different way. Basically, you put one number in front of the other, you always take the lower number and put it down before the higher number. So if you have an item you're combining with a location, locations are always three-digit numbers. So you put the two-digit item number before the three-digit location number, and you look up a passage in the book. 
And there are other ways to get numbers as well. And, you know, you'll have to kind of puzzle those out. They have different puzzles similar to many other escape room games that will get you either a as low as a three-digit number all the way up to six-digit numbers so far from what I've seen. So you're trying to get numbers and you're moving around. Each person takes a turn and you are trying to solve whatever mystery. And the nice part here is they do give you a mission card and the campaign is usually broken up into three missions. So at the beginning of like chapter one, you'll get a mission card that kind of tells you what your goal is for that chapter. And then each chapter is about an hour, an hour and a half and then you can either break them up or play them all in one night and go through it. Now, saving is not as easy as just putting everything away and then pulling it out the next time you come. You are going to have to take a picture because you're going to have these location cards placed all over the board. And so you are going to have to take a picture of that and replace everything back where it was. And then some cards have been put back in the box already. You keep those in the box. And you just got to remember what cards belong to what players as well. So it's not that hard to reset up again, but it isn't something that has kind of an automatic save system. So you probably want to play through each of the chapters together. So it's probably going to be anywhere from three to four and a half hours to get one of these full adventures in an evening. All right. Thanks, Peter, for the rules coverage. So if you haven't been on our channel before, so if you haven't listened to us before, damn it, I don't usually say this. So if you haven't listened to us before, thank you so much for being here with us. And our format is we're going to go through five key elements or design decisions in the game. Uh, we're going to start with number five, which is important, but the least important of the five, and work all the way up to the number one, the thing that we think stands out the most about this game's design. And these could be uh, pros, cons, somewhere in the middle. And uh, then we'll finish with our final thoughts. So I'll go ahead and start with my number five. And in this case, it ties right into our design discussion. This is a mix for me, and that's uh, the scoring system in the game and how that kind of plays into the endings in the game. So to be clear, uh, each of the two releases they have so far, and that's all we can go off of, have different ways of scoring, but both do have what can feel somewhat arbitrary in the scoring. In one of them, you can take damage, but you can't ever actually die. And in the other one, you can set off alarms, but unless you do it an absurd amount of time, it's not going to actually have a direct effect on the game while you're playing it. So both of these seemed a bit, when I played the game, kind of like blinds, kind of like distractions. But on the positive side, they do have a effect on the ending that you might achieve. So they eventually get kind of a thematic tie-in, but for a while it just kind of felt like, why do I care about my score? Because they also score you at the end of each chapter. It's like, hey, you got 20 points for this chapter. You got 15 points for this chapter. And at least personally, that didn't seem very exciting, didn't seem very thematic. Again, they kind of fix it at the end and do turn it around to where it seems to matter more. But still, it was not uh, my favorite part of the game. It just kind of uh, stuck out as an odd way to kind of track your progress as you went through the campaign. Yeah, I don't get into this directly. It kind of comes up in my number three point. But I will say, yeah, the, the scoring definitely seemed pretty arbitrary. But... I didn't mind that it was there either because it gave you something else to think about, something to worry about. But you didn't, as Mike said, you didn't really exactly know how the scoring was going to work out in the end. And so I'm going to touch more on that when I get to my number three point. But I agree with you. I, I don't think they needed to have scoring in there. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad they did because I'm sure some people like that. Yeah, and again, they do some interesting stuff with it, but we'll get into that later or let people discover that when they play themselves. All right, so my number five is the clue system. And did you ever use any of the clues in the game? I think twice in the pharmaceutical one. I don't think I used any of them in the castle one. All right, well, the interesting thing about the clue system is they say, go ahead and use the clues whenever you want. It's not a problem. Just go look them up. You know, there's no penalty for doing so. And then you go to the clue section, you look it up, and it's like, this item is found in <laughs> location 201, and it can be combined with item 55. I'm like, wait a minute, what? That's not a clue. That's telling me exactly what to do. So <laughs> I call it a clue system, but I thought it was kind of funny. It really wasn't a clue system at all. It was basically telling you, it was almost an answer key which I thought was kind of weird. I actually wish they had more of a clue system like, hey, 
maybe this could be used to shine up a pebble or something like that, rather than, hey, combine this with card 55 at location 21. You know, whatever whatever the, the numbers were. I, I just thought it was weird that it wasn't really a clue system. It was more like the answer sheet. I didn't mind it because one of my least favorite things with a lot of these games is when you get a clue and it's not specific enough and it leaves you stuck where you are. Certainly, you would never get stuck with this kind of a clue system. But at the same time, I wish there was different degrees of clues. I was like, I wish it was like, all right, I'm totally stuck. Here's the answer key clues, which is what they give you now. But I wish they had some hint clues as well. It's like, look at card 27. All right, this is kind of what it's supposed to do. So that was my thought on number five. So I guess a little bit of a mixed, but uh, the clue system in the game. Yeah, I think I think they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. Because look at some other clue systems that we like more or less. With Unlock, you have the app, which clearly opens up all the possibilities ridiculously. And you can like really do as many like little mini clues as you want. And then Exit, from the same company, also has small clues kind of along the way. But the thing is, they have such a small like number of things you have to look at. Because the clues are based on the locks you have to unlock, if I remember correctly. So you'll have like, you know, two or three cards per clue that you can flip one at a time. Yes. But here you've got like, oh my gosh, like hundreds of things to interact with, like the locations and the uh, the item cards themselves. So I think it would have been impossible without a major app integration, which the game, I guess, didn't want to do, didn't want to force app integration. So yeah, I mean, I don't think the clue system is good either, but I don't see how they could have feasibly actually had multiple clues for each element in the game with how much is there, you know? And speaking of apps, I'm not going to get into too much details, but there is an app out now for the games. And there isn't one for the dungeon one yet, but the pharmaceutical one does have their app out already. And I looked at the clues in there and I looked at, you know, some of the stuff in there. And it works exactly the same as the clues that are in the book itself. So if you put in card 27, you want a clue on it, it tells you this is where it's found, this location, and this is what it interacts with. So the clues are no different than the clues in the rule books themselves. Interesting. I guess I didn't want to put in the extra work. <laughs> so my number four is another mix, and that's the fact that in both versions of the game, because again, we can't necessarily predict what they might change in a future release, but in both of these, you have very specific characters that you get at the beginning of the game. And on the positive side, I do kind of like this because in most of these sort of escape room games, I mean, basically all of them, except maybe uh, Time Stories, if you want to kind of loop that in here, because there are some similarities between this game and Time Stories we might get into later. But in most of them, you're just kind of like this nebulous hole that is solving the puzzles. So you can kind of all like just do your own thing. But this game really like sets you up as an individual character. You take individual actions. You have an individual inventory. And uh, in kind of a fun note, in some of like the encounters you have... Uh, they'll actually have you go to a different card based on your character and things might be easier or harder or something different might happen. You might even like have like a memory from your past. So I did like that they put the time into making these avatars meaningful and giving you a bit more of like kind of a role playing feel in this kind of adventure escape room game. But on the negative side of things, um, first of all, the having separate inventories, while it's kind of a cool idea in concept, really ends up feeling more wonky. Because, like, you have to come to my location to get the item to solve the thing in your location. And it just kind of leads to useless downtime and dithering. Because in the end, you're going to be able to get the items. It's like you have a time limit on how many actions you can use. So, like, that I just kind of found annoying eventually. And then also something they, like, tried to do, but I'm not sure it's really a great idea, is they have individual injuries and, like, negative effects that can happen to you. And some of them can be really debilitating. Like, you can't move unless you're with another character. And, you know, again, it's kind of a cool idea. Maybe it's realistic for the theme of the game, but it's not fun <laughs> to play that character that is totally neutered and can't do stuff on their own. So I, I like the idea of having these avatars, but I think in some ways they might have gone a little bit too far in trying to make them individual uh, to the detriment of fun in the actual gameplay. Yeah, I, that's exactly my number four as well. I said it's turn-based action, so I didn't focus on the character aspect as much as the each player getting their own turn. And I think there are definitely some benefits to this. I think there are definitely times where, you know, you feel like you're doing something. Whereas sometimes in an escape room game, you can feel left out in the cold. Like if you're not getting any of the puzzles yourself here, you at least go explore locations. You get to choose where to go to next. You know, you have your own choices. But I do think sometimes it forces you into suboptimal situations. 
And I mean, in all honesty, in those situations, we just have the one person pass and have it go to the next person anyway. It's like, oh, well, there's nowhere I really want to go right now. Go ahead. You just do your turn again. And I mean, there's nothing really in the game. Again, as Mike said, we could have just had him go back to another location that we had already explored before. So instead of doing that, we just have him go forward. And yes, there are some restrictions as far as how you hand items off and things like that. I think it's a somewhat interesting puzzle. But again, because of the lack of timer on the game, really, it doesn't. it's not meaningful at all. So a lot of times we forewent that as well and just like, all right, just give me the item. It doesn't really matter because by the time all is said and done, yes, we could have done this. Maybe it would have taken us five or six more actions. But who cares? Because we have unlimited actions. And again, we can keep going back to the same thing over and over. There are certainly locations where nothing happens and you could just say, all right, I just went here. So, um, yeah, for us, it wasn't a big deal. For me, it's more of a positive than a negative. It's definitely leaning pro. I just like the fact that each person gets a little uh, gets their own say. You know what? I want to know what's here. You go do what you want to do. I'm going to do it. Do what's over here. And, uh, and sometimes location does matter, you know, whether the character's at the same location, you know, and so I think it's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. It definitely leans pro for me as well. And as you said, the kind of annoying parts are easily circumvented, if you don't mind kind of ignoring <laughs> some of the rules. So, yeah, absolutely. So my number three is getting to the locations, which you've already talked about. But just to clarify again, you have these really big cards, these nice sized cards that kind of depict everything you might investigate. And each thing you investigate has a number on it. And as your action, you move between these locations or you use items on these locations, uh, except for the rare times where you're combining one item with another. So first of all, I really love this. It does remind me a lot of one of my favorite things in Time Stories, which is that they have taken Choose Your Own Adventure books, which are one of my favorite things and turn them into a visual medium where I can like see the options available before me and use my visual analysis to kind of judge which are good or bad things or what goes with something else. It does, I guess, create in a board game form kind of what you might get from an adventure game like King's Quest or Monkey Island or that kind of thing. So that's great. I love how this plays into what we already mentioned about individual actions and how I can have sort of ownership of me going to this location and trying to solve this puzzle. But then the final uh, extra thing that I think is awesome with this and just really clever is that not too often, but in some cases, they have completely logical and sometimes devastating effects based on where you are. Like, uh, this does not happen in any of these. I'm just going to give you an example of the kind of thing that could happen, but I'm not spoiling anything. Uh, Let's say that one character is in a room in the basement and I put a bomb in the dumbwaiter and send it down to the basement. Then I'm going to blow up the character in the basement and he's going to have something horrible happen to him because I blew him up with a bomb. So things similar to that happen in here where the choices you make and the way you try to solve puzzles can be influenced by the other characters in locations with you. So it really creates this kind of breathing world, which for uh, a genre that's usually so abstract in terms of what's going on, I think of, uh, (laughs) I forget if this is Exit or one of the other games, but there was a game where like we were in a room And we literally could not turn to the next wall until we saved some riddles. I was like, I know there's a wall over there. I'm I'm in a room. I can turn my head, but I'm not allowed to until I solve these riddles. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in terms of realism. So I certainly appreciate here that they have a a world that I can explore in a way that seems satisfying. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned time stories. That was actually my number three. I said time stories replayability. And I mean a couple of things by that. You know, we've compared this a lot to escape room games because I think it has a lot to do with that. But it also has a lot to do with time stories. And Mike pointed out, you know, some of the story elements and graphical elements that I think compare favorably to time stories. But a lot of these escape room games you cannot play through again. Like if you played through it again, you do the same thing. And I think there is certainly a degree of it here. But this kind of goes to Mike's earlier point about the scoring system. And I feel like sometimes, and Mike said it, is an unfair scoring system because you don't know what you're 
you know, it's like a point and click adventure to some degree. If you click on something, it could be something really good or it could be something really bad. Well, if you were to replay this mission again, you could go through it again and know what to click on and what not to click on. And the reason I say it's kind of like time stories is because certainly if you want to run through and try to get a better score, you could do that. But the other part is you may not find everything on that first run through. Certainly we didn't on our first run throughs. You know, I... I, I could see going back and playing through it again to try to kind of find some of the things we didn't find our first time through. Now, as Mike said earlier, you do have unlimited time in the game, so you could theoretically do all that in one run, but you don't need to. And there's no nothing with time stories as far as like a timer in the game that's forcing you to replay it again. I was just saying you could replay it again because I certainly know we missed some things the first time through, and there are certain things we would have done differently if we had played through it a second time through. Now, what I ended up doing is just looking through for those cards and where I could find them, and I was like, oh, this is what we could have done. So certainly you can do that if you're not somebody who likes to play through it again. But if you are somebody who likes that time story, let me see if I can optimize the puzzle and get through in the best way the second time through. You could certainly do that with these games, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, it's funny. I had the exact same approach i was like oh man i wonder what the other endings were like or i wonder how i could have ever gotten that card that i never was able to obtain so i just kind of looked through as well i'd liken it to somebody who like finishes a video game but finds out there's a slightly better ending they could have gotten and instead of playing through for 30 hours again they just go on youtube and watch the better ending <laughs> but you're right some people are going to want to optimize especially if they're playing solo which you can do with this game and uh you know get the the perfect results all right, my number two is a mix, and uh, I said in my video review I think this could make or break the game for some people, and that is the adventure book and how frequently you have to refer to it. So on the negative side, Peter mentioned these numbers go from the uh, triple digits to six digits, and just like flipping through the book to find the number you need, and you're doing it every darn turn, like basically everything you do in the game requires you to look at the book to see what uh, result you have, that can get a little bit dull and can get a little bit boring. And also there is a lot of narration to read, and if you're not into that, if you just want to kind of like solve some quick puzzles, you aren't into the theme and the story they're trying to tell, then that might be a big downer for you. But uh, for me, it was, beside the annoyance of flipping through, it was overall a pro because I like that the greater narrative made me feel more immersed. There was a true attempt at an interesting story, which I don't feel with any of these games usually. There were also like clues and things sometimes, like the way something was described would maybe give me a hint as to how I might want to interact with it, which gave me much more of like kind of an RPG feel that I appreciated. So I do think it could be a big turnoff for some players, uh, but overall, I think it was pretty good for me. And I'll note again, like Peter said, they already have the, uh, so this is the Cosmos app, by the way, which uh, has integration with a lot of their games, but they have a tutorial and full narration for the pharmaceutical one, Monochromic, and then they, uh, I assume, will have very soon the same thing for the Castle one, because they already have it in German. I, I checked that out to see that it worked. So I imagine they're still localizing it for English. But yeah, I, I think that could definitely fix it for some people if they want to hear an app read it instead of reading themselves. But still might be a problem for others. Yeah, it's funny. We've sunk up a lot on this list. And we do tend to do that on some of these smaller games. But we're coming at it from a little bit different angle. So my number two was the story itself. And I think the story is great in this game. Um, in the two that I played. Now... Just so you know, if you're playing with small kids, the pharmaceutical one, you'll notice that it has a little bit higher age recommendation. It's a little bit more gory. The dungeon one is definitely very, you know, generic dungeon, like not a lot of blood, not a lot of gore. The pharmaceutical one definitely has some more graphic scenes, which are not present in the, um, in the dungeon one. So just a heads up for people there. But I thought the stories were really fascinating. You really felt tension at certain points throughout the game, which is funny because there's no timer. So there's no real reason for you to feel tension, but I certainly did. Like, I don't want to go in that room. Like, I don't know what's going on in there. So, um, I, you know, you go look in the door. I'm not looking in the door. So, you know, I, th I thought there were a lot of fun moments throughout the game. And uh, I don't know. For me, I really liked it. Now, I agree with Mike on the storybook, and 
to be honest, if I had a choice, I would use the app. I know for some people it would be annoying to have something read to you, but they do have the text on the app as well. So even if I wasn't going to use their narration and I wanted to read it myself, I would still choose the app. And here's why. Because when you flip through that storybook, let's say you're combining item 27 with room 101. And you flip to 27 and you're looking for 101. Well, if it's not there, you're going to see what other numbers it combines with. So it's going to point you in the direction you're supposed to use that item in. And I just don't like that when I'm looking through a storybook. I don't want to get spoiled by what clearly is the right answer. So if you enter it in the app, it just tells you there's no combination. And so you're not getting hints at what you want to do. And those six-digit codes a lot of times are the big puzzles at the end of the chapter. Well, there's only like three chapters, so there's only three of them in the entire book a lot of times, maybe four or five. So you either got it right or you didn't. And if you didn't get it right, then you see what the right answer is when you go back there. So again, I think the app will help with a lot of that. But overall, I love the story, but I agree with you on the storybook. I wish there was another way to do it or they had some more red herrings in there where, you know, there were stories for several of the different combinations or codes you could have done. But, you know, again, they're going to run out of space pretty quickly. And for the price point, you know, they did what they could, I think. I totally agree with you. All right. So we are going to end on a pro for me, and that is the riddles and puzzles in the game. So I want to be really clear that these are not, generally speaking, the riddles you'll see in Deckscape or Exit, where they're like literally riddles. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, turn these random uh, shapes a different way or draw a line through this or that kind of stuff. And I appreciate those. Those have their place. But I will say that I always, always like riddles and puzzles that are part of a world and make sense. Like, I was always one who was annoyed in Resident Evil games when I would need to, like, go find three chalices to open a door that led to somebody's office. I was like, does this dude literally put three cups into his wall every day <laughs> to go into his office and, like, get to his desk? Um, so, yeah, I always find that stuff kind of dumb. So, generally speaking, I've that's one reason I like the Unlock series better, because I do think that things tend to be much more kind of logical in a lot of those releases. Not all of them, but a lot of them. But here I would say it's even better, like... I don't think I can think of any puzzles in here that were not part of the world or part of, like, some characters or that would make sense for the location I was in. And even when I couldn't figure it out, you know, I had to use a hint, it made total sense afterwards. And and that, for me, is the, the gold standard I always look for in a puzzle. It's like, I might not get it, my brain might not make the logical leap that's needed, but once I see what the answer is, I'm like, man, I should have been able to get that. I totally understand. That makes total sense. It doesn't feel like a cheap shot. It doesn't feel like a, you need to think the way they were thinking to make this work. So I really appreciated these. And since the entire game is, in a way, adventuring and exploring mixed with puzzles, I thought that was great for this. So big pro for me. Man, we really are overlapping pretty much everywhere here. So my number one was, it's like an escape room, but it's not. And I totally agree. You know, the, the puzzles in the game are what makes an escape room an escape room. And I think they have very logical puzzles here. And not only logical puzzles, but it's just fun. It, it's like it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure at the same time. You know, should I stick my hand in this well over here? Or should I look in this vent over there? I don't know. Like... So you're, you're really trying to logic it out, but at some points, it's also just kind of going along for the story. And I don't mind that in this, because like I said, I think the story is really good. I think the thematic immersion is good. And there are puzzles in the game. They're just, you know, not everything you are doing is a puzzle. But you're certainly combining items like you would in an unlock game. You're doing a lot of things that you would do in an escape room game. But as Mike said, they're not kind of goofy puzzles that are there just to be a goofy puzzle, you know, that you would never see anywhere else in the world. So I love the thematic integration of the escape room style game, but with a more choose your own adventure style as well. So I, I think it's done really well. I would certainly say that this reminds me of time stories combined with an escape room game. You get the story element from time stories without the time pressure, and you get a little bit of the puzzly element from escape room games, and you put them together. So I'm not going to get into my final thoughts, but that's 
that was my number one. It's like an escape room game, but it's not. Yeah, it is funny that we have such similar opinions here because, number one, we didn't actually play any of these with each other. We, we've been trying to do that more often, like play the game separately. And then number two, Peter wouldn't even tell me what his opinions on the game were. <laughs> I asked him about it. He was like, no, 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 I'll wait, wait for the podcast. I want you to be surprised. <laughs> well, I mean, you asked me yesterday, so I'm not going to tell you the day before we recorded the podcast. If we talked about it months ago, maybe, but, you know, I'm not going to spoil it right before the podcast. Well, I will get into my final thoughts. And darn it, Peter, you literally stole the big thing I was going to say. Um, so I'll, I'll try to say it a different way. I do think that this is, in a way, part of the escape room genre. But honestly, I think this game has more in common, has more of, like, sort of the lifeblood of time stories running through it than Unlock or Exit or one of those games. I think it is more about the exploration, more about kind of solving this big overall location-based puzzle. It has the characterization of time stories. It has kind of the overarching story of time stories. And it also has kind of the, oh crap, I did the wrong thing, like you said, like sticking your hand in the well of time stories. So I think this game is very similar to that. And here's the thing, I'm, I'm pretty down on time stories. I think <laughs> if you've watched my review of time stories on the YouTube channel or heard the podcast, I have many issues with that design. And I have almost no issues with this one compared to it. I cannot see myself ever choosing to play time stories over one of these. Because you don't have the false time pressure that I find purely frustrating. You don't have the repeat crap you've already done element because you just, the game forced you to do the same stuff all over again. It just is a really nice, succinct, but still pretty meaty. You know, you're paying like, wow, gosh, I don't know, 20 bucks for this to get a three to four hour experience. That's a really nice uh, amount, you know, at least for this kind of game where it's sort of like a one-off thing and then you can pass it on. So I, I really like this one. Um, I don't think it's going to fire something like Exit or Deckscape or Unlock because those are a pure distillation of kind of the escape room riddle solving experience. But I do think this game, for me at least, fires Time Stories. Not that <laughs> now that Time Stories was working for me anymore. I don't need to fire it. But uh, this game, yeah, is is Time Stories done right in my opinion. And I think it is a great, great experience. I, uh, they, they would have to really mess up for me not to want to buy and play every release in the future for the series for a long time to come. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We're, we're on the same place as our final thoughts as well. I agree. You know, it, this game, I didn't think of Time Stories when I first started playing it. But by the end, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like Time Stories. You know, I could just play back through this thing again. And if I wanted to get a better score, I'd have a little bit more information. I wouldn't have all the information. So... Yeah, it's funny how they got that, but in a much better way, as you said. I, I would never, you know, I, I was never a big fan of Time Stories. And I think the difference here is, I think the story's better here. And not only that, but as you were saying before with the storybook, yeah, you're looking up stuff in the storybook all the time. But in Time Stories, they intentionally obscure the information from the other players. Here, while you're going to the location i get to hear what's going on too because they just assume you can tell each other the information and for me that just made it better because i didn't feel like i was getting a partial story i felt like i was getting the whole story as i was playing through the game and so that's why even though we had our own actions it didn't really feel like our own actions because you know we're all going to that location let's go see what's going on over here you know we all got to to hear the whole story and so i never felt like there was any downtime in the game either so even though you made the choice of where to explore, I still got to get all the benefits of hearing, you know, what that story was. So the story was succinct for me. It was very clear. And I just really liked them. I, I really like how these games put the stories together. And like you were saying, they're inexpensive, similar to Unlock, Time Stories, Deckscape. We buy all of those, and we're going to buy all of these. I'm sure there's going to be duds, just like there are in all the series. There are certainly unlocked games that I would never, ever play again, um, <laughs> you know, and wish I hadn't played in the first place. And, you know, that's true in all the series. So, for me, this falls into the same category, and I'm going to collect it just like I do the other ones. And I, I think it's a great addition. And for me, it's, it's a high recommend, you know, no matter who you are. If you like adventure story games, I would definitely get in on these. I, I think, I think you know, we played Tainted Grail the other day, and we played Seventh Continent too. And while these aren't nearly as detailed exploration games as those are, 
I find I get a much better story out of them, a much more cohesive story. And so for that, I really appreciate it. Oh, don't, don't come for Tanny Grail, dude. That's a, that's a future episode. and <laughs> that you, you, sh- you shall not impugn the Tainted Grail. <laughs> yes, you guys will be hearing about Tainted Grail very soon, I'm sure. Wait, I think probably by the time this episode airs, my uh, YouTube playthrough and review will be up. So you'll already know how I feel about it. <laughs> but now that we're done with the adventure games, let's talk about scoring system in co-ops. Yeah, you know, I think I want to bring in uh, some scoring discussion of solos as well, because it's almost more common there, but... Oh, much more common, I yeah, would think. Yeah, yeah, So, I don't know. What's your general, like, emotional response to a scoring system in a co-op? Well, the only other ones I can think of that have scoring systems are something like, if you want to do Pandemic in a tournament, there certainly has to be ways to score it to compare how well you did versus other people. And then games like Marvel Legendary had a scoring system, but that was more to see like who was the best winner in co-op systems. And I know Castle Panic did that as well. You know, these escape room games kind of all tend to have some kind of end scoring system or star system to tell you how well you did. I don't mind it. I certainly don't put any stock in it at the same time, though. So if you want to put a scoring system in there, go ahead and put a scoring system in there. But the thing that I like that these adventure games did is that, yes, there's a score and it logically makes sense how you got to that score, but I don't really care. It's not going to affect my outcome or ending. Certainly, if I have a worse outcome or ending, my score is going to be worse. And so I think it's reflected just in gameplay anyway. Like Arkham doesn't need a scoring system. You know, like they have different levels of endings as well. They could put an arbitrary score at, at the end, but I don't think they need to. And I, I don't know that it adds anything, but I also don't mind that it's in there. Well, I think you're forgetting a lot of uh, party games and kind of casual card games and things like uh, Just One has a scoring system. Codenames has a scoring system. Uh, Hanabi has a scoring system in a way. Uh, you know, like how I think if you have like a game where it's like, or even the mind, you could say has a sort of scoring system. You know, like what level do you get to? When do you die? I would say that's uh, that's kind of along the same lines, don't you think? No, I totally agree with that, and and it is different in those games because the scoring system is kind of the the main element in those. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I care more about it in Codenames Duet than I do in something like Just One. Just one, certainly I'm going to look at the end. Oh, yeah, we got 11 out of 13. But am I going to remember that a week later? Absolutely not. I mean, maybe I'd remember the time I got 13 out of 13 and we pulled it out and it was amazing. But I remember more the individual clues and the individual stories. It's almost like any party game, right? You know, a lot of party games have scoring systems and nobody ever use them. They just, you know, play it to enjoy the experience of the game itself. And so... Even in some of those, again, Codenames Duet, I think, being the exception, and only because you need to get certain scores to advance to the next level. Um, I think that's the only reason it's an exception for me. But no, for the most part, I don't really care about the score, even in something where the score is the goal. Yeah, and I think that gets into kind of my first advice. Well, first of all, I guess (laughs) for us at least, don't feel like you need to include scoring systems. But getting to kind of a bigger design thing, and something Peter and I have grappled with with a few of our designs, it I think it's generally more exciting to have a big finish and a clear, like, win-fail condition rather than just, like, I got a 40 this time instead of a 38. Um, that's why I think a lot of games, like defense games and things, will have a big boss you have to defeat instead of just kind of, like, petering out with some card plays and things. So maybe that applies more to thematic games. I think uh, Euros certainly lend themselves more to kind of score comparison and reaching for another score. And sometimes the entire game is based around like creating victory points in different ways. But I I certainly uh, appreciate, you know, the kind of more thematic uh, win-lose scenario that can come out of like kind of a narrative-based game. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on games like Just One and Codenames Duet? Like, do you care about the scoring in them? Do you, like, strive for higher scores, Hanabi, things like that? It's, uh... In in the end, at least for me, the kind of gamer I am, it still becomes about the pass-fail event. So, like, Codenames Duet, if I'm just playing, like, random games, I don't care. But if I'm playing, like, the little thing where you go on the map and, like, have more challenging things, then all I care about is whether I win or lose, not by how much. 
And for Hanabi, when I play with my wife, it's really all about did we get a perfect score or not? Like, yes, we've only gotten a perfect score, I think, two times out of dozens of plays. But that's what we're always shooting for. And when we get it, we win. And when we don't get it, we lost. And, you know, maybe there's different uh, degrees of losing. And we, we did better than last time. But we don't track that kind of stuff. We don't really care about that, that kind of stuff. You know, we, we'll groan slightly more because we were one card away from winning. But, yeah, we, we're definitely not. Yeah, we basically ignore the scoring. I guess in a party setting like just one, I do read what they say. Because at least uh, in in that game, and I think Codenames does this too, they have like a little blurb. It's like, you were average. <laughs> so that can be kind of funny like in a party setting. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's not really the, the main thing that drives me in those games. Yeah, and I, so I, I think you're right. I think as a pass-fail mechanism, I don't mind it. I certainly don't mind the fact that Codenames Duet has a scoring system as its pass-fail. I mean, it's not much different in a game like Mysterium, where you have a certain number of days to get through and get all the clues correct. You know, I, I kind of feel the same about those two. I never thought of Codenames as a scoring system. I thought of it as a, oh, I failed this day or whatever, if you compare it to Mysterium. I failed this clue attempt, but next time hopefully I'll get more and I'll be able to get through it. So for me, I never really thought of it as scoring, even though theoretically it is. I view it more as pass-fail. So I, I agree with you on that, too. Now, I will say sort of an interesting counterpoint to our own ideas here. We played the Orleans uh, co-op scenario fairly recently, and that's clearly a game that's based upon, you know, getting points and earning a score and having the highest score of all. And in the co-op scenario, they instead, like, flip it to where you have to achieve these different effects, and there is no real, like, point-gaining. And I will say when you take a game that was built upon scoring and switch it to something else, I think Orleans worked great, but I feel like the game is better probably with like the VP hunt. And another uh, example is uh, Cerebria that I covered on the YouTube channel fairly recently. And that is again a game that is at its soul a competitive game with people trying to have the most points at the end to kind of like rule the... Uh, the inside world of the game but with that one for the solo and co-op modes they did maintain that competitive score like racing i feel like if they had changed it up to like hey you have to have this many towers or you have to defeat uh this many spirits that would have really like felt like it was uh kind of twisting the game in a way that it was not meant for making it less than what it was and, you know, just based on one play of Orleans, I did feel a little bit of that sense. Like, they had taken a game that was meant to be a scoring game and, you know, was good as a scoring game and sort of took that away. Yeah, I think they do a little bit of that in Thunderstone as well, right? The new Thunderstone quest for the Oh, they totally There's do. Not... I mean, the, <laughs> the experience, like, values or the victory point values of the cards you buy that used to be incredibly meaningful was a main balancing mechanic in the game was just, like, thrown out completely. So now... This card that's trash and is worth four victory points is totally worthless. Yeah, so I guess, you know, the, the point we're getting to here is if the game was designed for no victory points and you add them in as kind of a, hey, this is how you did at the end, you know, congratulations, then I think it's fine. But if it is a victory point game where your original goal is victory points, and to be honest, we tried to do this with one of our designs and it's really hard to get away from. You know, we, we didn't have any scoring at all from a game that was completely competitive where all you cared about was your score before. We tried to take that out, and it really didn't work well, and so we just scrapped the game for the most part. So I do think it's hard to go the other way from a game that is designed around a point scoring system to scrap it and go to a non-scoring system. But so for me, when you can feel that, I don't want that in my games, but if they go the other way and add a score on at the end and I don't really care about it, then that's fine because I know some people will. So I don't mind them tacking on those scoring systems to games that were designed without it if people want that. And in the end, I'd, I'd prefer a competitive scoring system if there's going to be one, like with the AI scoring as well. Like, uh, you know, Seed Storm in Solo and Co-op had that, you know, basically a life pool is kind of a scoring thing. It's just that at a certain score, you lose automatically. So I guess it is a hard cutoff. 
Well, yeah, and I've really enjoyed Gaia Project Solo, and that has a scoring system. I mean, basically, you're playing the basic game. The AI just scores as well. And so a lot of the Automa systems use scoring systems. So if we're we're taking it past co-op and going to solo as well, I think it's done, you know, really well sometimes there. And I, I didn't mind it because it basically let me play the basic game when I didn't have anybody around. Well, yeah, but I definitely, and this is getting definitely to a different area, but I much prefer solo games where I'm scoring against somebody else. You know, not just... Uh, I guess Agricola did this in the solo game, where it's just like, hey, how high did you score today? 50? Good job. <laughs> you know? Well, yes. Yeah, if you're going to have a score, and again, I don't play many solo games, but if you're going to have scoring in a solo game, you better tell me what I was up against. Like, I don't want you to just say, if you have 50 to 70 points, you get this score. If you have 70 plus points, you get this. No, 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 no. No, no, I want that pass-fail condition. And I think that's what we keep coming back to. And maybe it's just us, too. So we don't want to say that this is for everybody. But I feel like games where even if they're using score, there is still a pass-fail scenario. I think that is the best way to use score in cooperative games. And you can do clever things with it. I'm thinking of Sprawlopolis, which is solo or co-op, where you have these scoring cards that both define exactly what you need to do to score in the game and also define what your pass-fail level is. You kind of have all this cool stuff with scoring in a very simple mechanic. So, you know, I think that's awesome. I think even in the adventure games we just reviewed, the fact that the score is more and that it, you know, surprising or not, you might not realize it's going to do this, but it has a role to play in what ending you get is also still, like, kind of valuable, like... You know, I, I might not see the exact same thing, but at least I know that my score mattered and meant something. It wasn't just a number. Sure. Now, I think for designers like you and I, who typically design more thematic co-ops, at least, you know, that's our goal in designing our co-ops, I don't think this is something we would probably explore in the future. But maybe. You never know. I mean, yeah, I've, I've got tons of Euro designs just jumping around in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, if you count scoring as something like Codenames or The Mind, I would love to design a game like that at some point. I'm not clever enough to do it, but, you know, maybe someday. Yes, no, I could go totally get behind that. But yeah, with with us certainly being, for the most part, very like Ameritrash or thematic, like narrative games, uh, heavy with that in our design, I don't know. None, none of our designs so far have had anything that could really be scoring. I, I guess the closest would be Dark Dealings. If uh, two people went out at the same time, you had to like count how many defenses you had left. <laughs> that was kind of a score, but usually somebody sure. else died and somebody else survived, and that was it. So it was usually a much clearer uh, winning condition. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think thematically it's hard to justify also. Like, I mean, if Conan is somewhere or Batman is somewhere or, you know, these super, you know, dungeon crawler people are running around, it's like you want to kill a big boss at the end or you want to do something exciting in a mission. You don't want to go, I had 27 points. Like, wait, how did your Conan get 27 <laughs> points? What does that mean? All right. Well, I think we've kind of covered it. So clearly for us, point systems are not something you should strive to use. And if you do try to make it like a competitive thing that you're racing for, or at least make it interesting in some way. Uh, but we, at least me, I know I'm not the heaviest Euro player, and Peter generally plays them competitive and doesn't play them solo as much. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, and again, the last piece of advice I have, going back to it, I, I think if you're going to have point scoring as your main way of judging how well you did, make a pass-fail barrier somewhere. Make it so it is clear how somebody did, not this, you know, you could do this or you could have done this or you could have done this. I would definitely have pass-fail lines. All right, well, thanks for listening to another episode of One Stop Co-op Shop. Uh, go check out the adventure games, and uh, as new releases come out, I'm sure we'll be talking about them on our Slack. And speaking of, join the Slack. Come join the conversation. Yeah, no, there's so much going on over there. I, I definitely have a hard time keeping up myself, but if you're someone who's like me who does have a hard time keeping up, you can just ignore everything but what happened in the last you know, three hours, because there'll be some new conversation that pops up. So, you know, you don't you don't have to keep up with all of it. 
<laughs> yeah, I would say probably me and Steve are the most heavily active on the Slack. And then Peter and Colin will jump in every once in a while. Oh, there are definitely people more active than you and me. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I meant of the <laughs> of the like official one-stop coffee shop like staff. Yes, uh, th- there are people who are way more active than us and do way more research into games coming out and all that kind of stuff. So thank you to our wonderful Slack members. And to be honest, that's where we learn about a lot of our recommendations. And like, hey, have you guys seen this? It's like, no, we haven't, but we'll inquire into well, it. I think half of the games that I've covered recently have been things that somebody on the Slack recommended. I was like, oh, I'll go ask about it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm getting to play some really cool stuff thanks to the recommendations of our loyal listeners. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's it's definitely a great community. I'm glad we're part of it. And, you know, Jason from Every Night is Game Night is part of it. Liz from Beyond Solitaire is part of it. They all have their own channels. So we definitely are trying to become the one stop for your co-op shopping needs. Oh, man, it's almost like that's our, a good name for us or something. Yeah, well, as long as we're not stopping at multiple stops, that's that's fine. There's one stop. <laughs> Just one. Just and the one. I guess that stop is the Slack, so go join the Slack. <laughs> it all begins and ends there. All right, well, thanks again for joining us, everybody, and we will talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Hey, Mike. Yeah, yeah. You want to go on an adventure? Uh... <laughs> Sounds a little sketchy. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. And I don't just... Yeah, none of these things end well, do they? We probably shouldn't do that. Well, I mean, you're you're like whispering at me. It's something I'm not, you know, sure of. It just all feels very aggressive. (laughs) Isn't that how all these adventures start? Like, some people whispering around a tavern, like, hey, we should go check out this pharmaceutical company. We'll pay you some money to do it. I don't it. know. In the Hobbit, oh, that it sounds was like, like a good dwarves idea. Dwarves eating all his food and loudly singing about things, right? <laughs> they had a whole song yeah, about the yeah. dragon and how they had to go get their gold back. Yeah. No, again, I don't think I want to go adventuring. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all set. All right.